Hmm? Ah. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty cool. All right now, uh, I uh, my best trick is the French drop, and it's just a way to make a coin disappear in your hand. You hold it in one hand, and you you grab it with the other hand, and all of a sudden it's it's disappeared. And I I perfected that because I've been doing that for thirty years, and uh, my kids love it, and I starting to teach my kids how to do it so they can go make money at school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, run run the run the three card Monty in the in the out on the playground. Podcast junkies episode eighty eight if you put eighty eight on its side, it's two infinity signs. So that's like double infinity. Random thought of the day. My name is Harry Duran. I'm the host. Every week I interview engaging, funny, quirky uh, really smart, intelligence-wise podcasters from all across the podverse, and I just enjoy the conversations that I'm having, the the rabbit holes I'm digging into with my guests, and I love the fact that I never know where they're going to go, these conversations, that is. Last week, I spoke to Andrew Locke, who is uh, the host of uh, Help My Business, which is a video podcast, which he's been doing since 2008. It's really a uh, fascinating discussion. Um, he's originally from the UK, so please check that out if you hadn't already. Andrew Locke, episode 87. This week, it's podcast veteran time yet again, and it's Eric K. Johnson, the podcast talent coach. I really w- had him on my list for the longest time. Um, there's so many great podcasters out, out there, and I-, I think there's really a handful that I go to on a regular basis when I want to really brush up on the the art of podcasting, uh, the craft of podcasting, and I, I really get top guidance and information from Eric's show. It's on my uh, must-listen every week. Sometimes when I miss it, I end up binging, and it's always stuff that I'm writing down. It's just little tweaks here or there sometimes that really help um, with me and my show and really coaching that helps me with my clients as well as I, as I get their show started. But we had a really, really uh, fa- fantastic conversation and uh, we talked about his beginnings in radio and uh, his fascination for hockey and what life is like living in Omaha. And uh, it, it was just interesting that he has something in common with Pat Flynn that I didn't know. So listen and see if you can pick that out. But uh, it's really uh, an educational discussion about how to have a good conversation. And I always learn something from his podcast, and I even learned something from this interview. So please enjoy my conversation with Eric K. Johnson. And stay tuned after the show when I'll let you know what the retention hashtag is. And also a new uh, sponsor that we have, PodBuzz. Enjoy. So, Eric K. Johnson, Mr. Podcast Talent Coach, thank you so much for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Harry, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is uh, a good week for me. I had Paul Colligan on. We recorded a, co- a conversation earlier this week, which is coming out soon. So, I get to speak to two podcasting veterans in one week, which is always nice. Paul is a great mind. That was probably a stellar interview. His energy level is pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it is. But uh, yours isn't too shabby either. You know, I, I, I imagine when you get on, I mean, I really feel like 
you're bringing your A game. And I don't know if that's a function of you having been in radio before, or you just know that because you're in teaching mode that you you have to go that extra step. I'm really not sure if it's um, getting in the mode. I've done it for so long. It's natural for me now uh, because I started in radio back in 1989 and just having a mic in front of me, I just naturally all of a sudden uh, be that guy. But it's nor- it's naturally me. You know, when I talk to a lot of people on the streets, they say, oh, say something in your radio voice. And <laughs> I tell them, well. I don't really have a radio voice. This is kind of it. You get what you get. I, I am who I am. So, um, yeah. And I, and I, I have a passion about teaching, uh, content creation. So it's, it's, uh, pretty easy for me to get excited about it. Is, is that passion for teaching something that's just been with you since you started in radio or is that, or was there aspects to your career that involved teaching earlier on as well? I've always loved learning and, I, I, whatever I get involved with, I love learning as much as I possibly can. So when I first started out in radio, I, I dove into it head first and I tried to learn everything I possibly could about how radio worked and why it worked. And, um, in each radio format that I'd work in, if it was uh, rock radio, I'd learn as much about the artists as I could in that. And when I got into country, I'd do the same thing there. I just enjoy learning. And then I enjoy helping other people, learn as well. I also coach hockey. I coach, okay. youth, I coach youth hockey and I coach high school hockey both. And uh, I just love coaching people. I love teaching people um, how to bring out the best in themselves. It's, I, I, I really get a high from that. Is there, does someone come to mind that had that same impact on you that you probably do now for some of your students where you know, they're, they're just, they were just a good teacher or a good mentor? There were a handful of guys. Uh, as I was growing up playing hockey, um, I, I grew up in Omaha. Not not a real big hockey hotbed, but there are some uh, very passionate, fanatical hockey fans in Omaha. And one of them was Moda McLean, who grew up uh, playing hockey in uh, played in the NHL for a bit for the Detroit Red Wings and actually played here minor league hockey in Omaha, met his wife here, and they ended up settling here. And Moto was a big um, driving force starting youth hockey in Omaha and still around today and has an incredible passion for the game. He's the guy that when you start a conversation with him, it's two hours later and he's finally, <laughs> you're trying to go, okay, I got to go now, Moto. Thanks for the, the chat, but he will spin some yarn and uh, it, it's easy to fall in love with the game of hockey just being around him because he loves to teach people about it. So in hockey, he was my guy. Uh, in radio, there were a handful of guys. Uh, one of my very first program directors was Gabe Baptiste. And Gabe uh, programmed one of the rock stations I worked at. He's the one that taught me about um, just you're in it to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, you can take yourself so seriously, but, but have fun. And so at the end of every one of my episodes, you know, I always end with, um, you know, tell the truth, make it matter and have fun because if you're not having fun, there's really no reason to do it, pack it in and go home. And, uh, you know, after Gabe worked with us, uh, for a while, he went on to, uh, launch MTV Latino. He mm. was the, uh, music program director for MTV Latino for quite some time. And, um, he was bilingual and just an amazing, passionate guy for the for the love of radio. Uh, how long were you in radio? Uh, I'm still in radio, actually. Okay. 
Yeah, I've been in radio uh, since 89. I started uh, my first programming job, being a program director of a radio station, came in 1995. And uh, I continue to do that. And uh, I continue to help radio broadcasters today. What are some of the, for people that are not familiar with all the different roles of people in radio, um, what are some of the responsibilities that you have as a program director on a day-to-day basis? The program director is basically in charge of everything you hear on the air. So there's two main managers at a radio station underneath the um, the general manager. So the vice president of the operations, he runs the whole building. And then underneath him, you have your program director um, who oversees the radio station on the programming side. And you have the sales manager who oversees the radio station on the on the sales side. And then you'll have engineers and you'll have people that schedule the commercials and stuff like that. But for the product itself, the program director is responsible for everything that comes out of the speakers. So they're responsible in selecting the music. They're responsible in, uh, for hiring all of the on-air talent. They're responsible for all of the promotions and all of the imaging and all of the commercial production and and everything everything that happens on the product side, the product creation. That's the responsibility of the program director. Seems like it's a jack of all trades. You wear a lot of hats and need to learn a lot of different skills. Yeah, exactly. So when you get into radio, my philosophy has always been you, you have to take one of two paths. You either take the path of being an on-air talent to become a morning show um, because that's the pinnacle of that side of the, the fork. And then the other side is to get into the, um, the strategy of the radio station and become the program director and oversee the operations in that, in that fashion. Is that something that you aspired to when you were like in, in high school or, or in college thinking that, that, that that's where your, your career was going to end up? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I actually, uh, I got my degree in architecture. Okay. Um, I started drafting when I was in uh, seventh grade. So I was 12 um, when I first picked up a, a straight edge and started drafting and absolutely loved it. And I uh, got my first drafting job uh, as a senior in high school. And worked two years for that, went to college at one of the best architecture schools in the country to get my architecture degree. And um, about three years into my architecture degree, uh, I started falling out of love with architecture because architecture started moving to computer-aided drafting. Mm. It lost the the romance of the of the pen and paper. You know, you were still doing sketches and that sort of thing, but it wasn't as um, exciting for me as it had been. In the meantime, my brother had worked at a radio station uh, and ended up getting me a weekend gig there just running the board. Uh, I needed some college money. I'm a college kid, you know, always looking to pick up an odd job. So I started doing that. And then I started DJing wedding receptions. And um, I started I needed an elective for my architecture degree. So I took broadcasting for the non-major. Then that turned into being the music director for the campus radio station, all while finishing up my architecture degree because I was three years into it. I was like, you know. I can't bail on it now. I'm three years in. What's the point of going backwards and starting over? So I just finished my architecture degree and stayed in radio and still here today. So it took. So when I started in radio, my parents would continue to send me um, job postings. Hey, here's a new. Here's another uh, drafting position that's open. Here's a here's a firm looking for an architect, and I'd say, well. That, Thanks, but that's not really what I want to do anymore. I, yeah. I want to be in radio. And they're like, yeah, but you're you're making $12,000 a year staying up all night long working the overnight shift. You, you know, and you have two other jobs just to pay the rent. <laughs> Maybe you want to re- rethink this career path. And uh, 
it wasn't until I got my first program director gig in 1995 that my, my parents finally went, oh, maybe, maybe this thing is for real. Maybe, maybe you can make a living at it. I wonder if, if uh, just literally thinking off the top of my head now, uh, a lot of times we learn skills that we think uh, we're never going to be able to use those later on in life. I, have you ever given thought to things that you may have learned coming up as an architect that you, for some reason, are able to apply uh, in your role as a program director? You know, it's interesting. A lot of people go, man, how did you make the leap from architecture to broadcasting? That They sound so different. And, you know, when I step back and you analyze both careers, they're actually fairly similar because in each career, you have to be very analytical and creative at the same time. You're given um, you're given a set of rules and a set of parameters, and then you have to get into those parameters and design within those parameters in both architecture and broadcasting. So they're they're actually very similar. My my thinking is very right-brained and left-brained. I'm I can be creative and I can be analytical at the same time and I've learned to do that in both uh I'm good at math and I'm good at music and I'm good at art. You know, okay. it's it, and you don't find many people that have both sides and my children are the same way. My children are incredibly strong in math and they're very artistic as well. Is there um, a, a fraternity of former architects who are not podcasters? Because the other one that comes to mind is Pat Flynn. <laughs> I ran into Pat Flynn at um, at New Media Expo last year, and I went up to him and and we had a chat about that very thing about about getting the architecture degree and then ended up being where we are today. Well, and coming up through high school, I hated speaking in front of people. Getting up and giving a three minute speech in uh in speech class was not something i wanted to do at all i you know i would my my mouth would dry my palms would get sweaty it was horrible and then i went and uh started in architecture and the same thing in architecture you create your design and then you have to present it in front of a panel who's yeah. going to critique you and now now it's not just giving the speech now it's giving the speech and taking the critique as well and oh so the next thing you know I'm in radio and now I have to get on stage to introduce bands in front of 15,000 people and got over that nervousness quite quickly. And you know, I started bringing my daughter on stage with me as soon as she could walk. So I brought her on stage with me. She was probably three, maybe four. I was introduced in Sesame Street Live, brought her on stage with me, and I've been taking her on stage ever since. She has no fear of being on stage at all because oh, she doesn't know great. any she doesn't know any different. Yeah. So Right now, she she uh, is 14, and she's been acting in the Community Playhouse and on tour with the Nebraska Theater Caravan for about four years now. Um, she's been dancing on stage since she was six, and uh, getting up in front of a crowd for her is no problem at all. It's just a matter of doing it enough until you're not scared to do it anymore. And it's a function of getting in those environments early on before... You're old enough to to be embarrassed, right? It's you know because right. kids, young kids, they're just fearless with the things that they do, and th this concept of like being embarrassed doesn't really strike until maybe you're, you're with your peers or you get into like the, the later grades. But and I mean, I, I think of my my uh, my niece, and she's fearless. I mean, she's yeah. she's got this amazing uh, you know outsized personality, and I just hope that it carries on. And I think what you're doing is putting her in that environment where she, you know, the fact that she's on a stage doesn't, is not going to color her perception of how she should be acting because she's doing it from, from, from when she was young. So I, I think that's fantastic. 
Yeah, she doesn't know she's supposed to be nervous, so she just gets up and does it. And and uh, that's what I try and tell podcasters as well. When I'm working with podcasters, and they're like, "Oh, I hate the sound of my voice," or you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, "What's the worst that could happen?" You know, it's a it's you know an average episode. Nobody's going to kill you. You know, just get back up on the horse and do it again until you're comfortable doing it. Yeah, It'll come around. When um, this one more. Uh, so and I was interested in uh, architecture as well. I remember I went to Syracuse and I and I thought I was going to apply to the architecture school. Well, I actually did, but I didn't really have any portfolio. I had done some models. I was I was a big fan of like building model cars, and I, I think I even showed one. But it was very clear that people who wanted to be in architecture, you know, were thinking about it like in high school, like early years yeah. of high school. And I just thought it was something that I wanted to do because I was I, mean, I was. I was just a fan of like uh, I you know I, I just felt like that's something I wanted to study, but it was clear that there's a difference between people who just decide to do it and people who've been planning to do it since they were like you know young and early on. So I'm wondering um, if you if you still think about it when you're out and about because I do because I mean you know I, I I've I see buildings and I'm like oh that's that's beautiful. So are there any architects that you that you have that that are your favorites? You know, I don't really have favorite architects. I have favorite buildings. You know, I do love the the work of Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah. um, and uh, I like the work of Mies van der Rohe. There, there are some buildings I like. I like straight lines. You yeah. know, me both Mies and and Frank Lloyd Wright. You know, they were very, um, very linear and very open and very clean in their architecture. I don't. I don't like a lot of the gaudy architecture. You know, when I go to New York City, um, a lot of that stuff. That's very uh, flamboyant and and artsy. Um, that's not the the kind of architecture that really appeals to me. I like I like how guys can be creative but keep it clean with mm. a lot of straight lines as well. So I like Taliesin. I, I think Frank Lloyd Wright's school down in in uh, New Mexico at Taliesin. That's just an amazing building. The way it just comes out of the ground. Have you ever been to uh, Spain to see? Um, oh, I have not yeah. studied it a lot. Yeah. You know, the the two places I want to go most. Um, we we've been to Paris and we've been to London, uh, been to to Dublin, and and that's fantastic architecture. Some of the architecture in Paris was amazing. Little yeah. little flamboyant, but amazing. But the two places that I want to go most are Rome and Barcelona because the the architecture in those two places are is just phenomenal. You can learn so much by just by going and, and absorbing it. It's, it's, it's one thing to read it in a book, but when you oh, see, yeah. when you see like the Louvre or Notre Dame or, uh, or the Arch de Trump, right, it, it, right in front of you, yeah. it, the, you know, it's so amazing. I just, took, I, I took a arts and ideas class in college in freshman year and we got introduced to everything, to all the masters, you know, the Arc de Triomphe and, you know, there was uh, learning a bit about architecture and art. And so the first time you see like a Rembrandt in, in person, oh, yeah. you're standing in front of it, you're just like jaw drops or, you know, the Mona Lisa was a, a, uh, a bit anticlimactic. So yeah, it's so it's, far away. It's, it's so, so small. small. <laughs> it's so small. You're like, wow, that's it. Like, wow. I thought, yeah. uh, you know, because the, the, the art on the rest of the walls is so massive and, yeah. and overwhelming. And then you see the Mona Lisa and you're like, wow, that's, you know, it's her head's like life size. It's, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like 24 by 36 and there it is. And yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool to see, but you know, nothing like the last supper or some of the other oh, yeah. pieces of art they have there in the Louvre. It was fantastic. Uh, yeah. When we saw, um, Michelangelo's David as well. Which oh is, yeah. yeah. It did, and so in Barcelona is the Sagrada Familia, the 
Sagrada Familia, the church, uh, Gaudi's church, that's yeah. apparently never been completed yet. It's supposed to be, supposedly, <laughs> supposedly still under construction, and yeah. that was just amazing to see. So, um, Coming back to podcasting, uh, interesting, I, I love talking to people who've had the experience uh, coming up in radio. Do you remember the moment when you realized that you know there was a, a separation or this thing that was called podcasting that was different than what you were doing in radio? Interestingly enough, I still have the article around here, and I don't. Re- I think it was out of Spin Magazine, but it was when Adam Curry launched his podcast, and it was an article about what this whole podcasting thing was, and I photocopied it and I kept it, and it, it, I still have it today because I always thought, wow, that would be pretty cool. So this was this was ages ago, and uh, I always thought, wow, that would be cool if this thing really took off. But you know, the guy sitting in his car recording some stuff that just goes out on the internet, and you know, at the time, the internet was just coming into to its own, you know, hitting full stride and he's launching his podcast. And I thought that would be pretty cool. But then I just kind of shelved it because radio was what was what I was doing. And then um, really when I got my iPhone, I think that's kind of really when the pendulum turned and I started subscribing to podcasts. Um, And then it just took off. I, you know, I couldn't get enough of it. I, I started listening to a lot of business podcasts and just finding podcasts on crazy topics that I loved. And I don't know that there was really a point in time where I thought, man, I should launch a podcast. This should, I should do this thing. It was, I actually started writing about podcasting before I started doing my podcast. I started a blog about it. And then I realized, you know what? Podcasters probably want to listen to the information rather than read it. I mean, they're they're podcasters after all. So I scrapped the blog and I just started uh, recording the podcast instead. It kind of morphed into itself. You mentioned uh, getting, you know, sucked down some obscure rabbit holes with podcasting. What's one of the the strangest things you've ever learned or heard on a podcast? Um. Dave Jackson and I do a show together called the Podcast Review Show, and we yeah. just did an episode with a gentleman who's launching a brand new podcast, and it's all about germs. I mean, he is I, – I don't know if I would call him a germaphobe, but he is all about ridding the world of germs. And when you're using the restroom, how important it is to wash your hands with warm water and soap and and how paper towels are better than hand dryers and, and how all these microbial – organisms fester on your body and it was like wow okay (laughs) you know it was a it was a riveting episode it wasn't as disgusting as i thought it was going to be but my question to bruce was where where do you go from here bruce i mean we we've talked about the germs and the importance of washing your hands i don't know what the next step is but you know it 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 was a cool episode i thought he put it together really well because he had his kids in it and it really had that kind of um that uh, sort of um, Saturday morning educational show feel about it. You know, it's maybe something you'd see on the Learning Channel or something yeah. like that. And it was really cool and very well put together, especially for being his first episode. Um, but I'm not sure where he takes it from here. I don't know. But that was that was probably the most interesting, uh, obscure podcast topic I had heard. And you and you guys get to hear a lot in, in, oh, your, yeah. in, in your own. So what, what's funny about that yeah. one is he's, he can get sponsors lined up. He can get Dyson hand cleaners. Oh, yeah, because yeah, he's all about the hand cleaner. Hand sanitizer is his friend. Yeah. But um, 
That's fascinating because there is an aspect that says, you know, when, you, when they when kids are growing up, they, you know, they said, oh, don't let them get dirty. But I remember, you know, when I was young and I'm sure when you were young, we played in the dirt, stuck, oh, yeah. stuck our hands in our fingers. <laughs> yeah. we, need, we need to build up this resistance to these germs, I think. And if we don't if we don't have contact to them, I, I'm not sure if that's a good thing in the long run. Yeah, we'd always be outside having mud ball fights when when it wasn't snowing, it was raining. So we'd be rolling up mud and throwing it at each other and catching worms and picking up crickets at recess. And, you know, <laughs> there was I don't remember ever washing my hands as a kid, yeah. you know, other than taking a bath. That was about it. And, did did you, know, you have your uh, crew of like friends? I, I think of the movie Stand By Me. And, yeah. yeah. And, and all the trouble that they got into. Did you have a group of friends like oh, that? Yeah. Up? Yeah, we'd go run, you know, my mom would kick us out of the house because she'd be tired of listening to us. So we'd go climb through the sewers and, you know, just try and find trouble to get into, jump the creek, you know, end up our shoe would get stuck in the mud and then you'd have to dig it out and figure out how to clean it off so mom didn't kick your butt when you got home. Oh, yeah, we'd always run around. It it's was am- great. It's amazing the the things we, we think about the things we did when we were younger that uh, as I don't have any kids yet, but we're working on it and... If like if we knew that the, what trouble the kids were getting into as parents, we'd probably lose our mind. <laughs> but as kids, you know, I, I remember we tried to build a treehouse in our oh, backyard, yeah. <laughs> and we were probably eight to ten feet up, and I stepped on a plank that wasn't nailed down, oh. and I literally fell backwards out of the treehouse. Thankfully, into like a pile of leaves. Oh yeah, and I lost my shoe. <laughs> you mentioned losing your shoe. I, yeah. I, I came home with one shoe, and I had to explain what happened. And I mean, I think we're just more resilient at that age and more willing to, to get into to trouble. I remember my buddy jumping off of his roof. You know, we were jumping off the back porch. Uh, we were climbing trees as high as we could possibly get, and then have to figure out how to get down. You know, we were causing so much trouble. I can't believe I didn't break any bones as a kid. I had a unicycle when I was a kid. Oh, really? <laughs> it fell off that a handful of times. And we'd try and build ramps and jump our bikes over stuff. And yeah, it was, I never did end up in the hospital though, luckily. Did, has your, um, I'm not sure how, how close you are to where you grew up, but I, I go back, I'm, I grew up in New York, I'm in Los Angeles now, but my, it's still, uh, my parents live in the house that I grew up in. And so we had... The street was our playground. We played everything from stickball to football to, we called it Ring Alivio, but it was really hide and go seek and uh, tag frisbee, just everything you could think of. And just all the kids would congregate and we'd have enough for two teams. <laughs> and um, But nowadays, like I don't see that anymore. And I'm wondering no. if, 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 if the same thing has happened with you. Oh, yeah. there's. I, I live in a cul-de-sac now. I, I live about six miles from where I grew up. Yeah. And, uh, there are kids don't play in the cul-de-sac. I mean, they're not, they're not outside at all. When I was a kid, we'd be playing stickball out in the street, you know, car movie. We'd play street hockey in the backyard and, uh, you know, we'd run our grass to, to dirt when we played so much ball hockey in the backyard or we'd, we'd create a, a wiffle ball league over in the park and we'd be up there playing because we didn't have, you know, when I got Atari, that was like the big thing, but I had two games, you know, I had, I had Pong and I had uh, Space Invaders and that was it, you know, (laughs) and then you get tired of playing Space Invaders. So let's go outside and throw the football around or whatever. We'd play whatever it was, whatever the whatever the season was. That's what we do. So when it was baseball season, we'd be playing stickball in the street. When it was football season, we'd be playing football and, um, you know, we'd be playing hockey in the garage with golf clubs and, you know, hockey puck. And it was just whatever we could find we would do. 
or we'd go ride our bikes around. I remember riding our bikes. We'd go out on the dirt roads and ride our bikes forever. And, you know, now we panic if the kid wants to ride his bike down to the school and back. And, you know, it's like, oh, my God, yeah, yeah. I, better, I better walk with you. Take your cell phone. Make sure you call me. Let me know where you are. Yeah, it's, yeah, we just have this, I don't know if it's a romantic ideal of what things used to be like. And like, you know, we, we did all those same things, you know, rode our bikes and, uh, you know, and, and played in the street. But I do remember the, the day Atari ended up in our house. <laughs> we were all crowded. Or I think we connected it to our one black and we didn't want to connect it to the main TV. Yeah. We connected to a black and white TV, I think, for the first couple of weeks. And it was literally Adventure was the other one, which was the role playing game. But it's all and yeah, yeah. uh, Pong and Night Driver was the other one with the with the paddles. <laughs> so, but it's you know you, kids would laugh at that. Now there's more power in well they said there's more power in an iPhone than than the technology that was used to send the oh. ast- astronauts up to the Apollo. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy what we have in our hand now. The, the things your phone can do, it's nuts. So um, moving into the the show. What was the impulse for starting the your podcast, uh, Podcast Talent Coach? I really started Podcast Talent Coach because as I was listening to podcasts, um, some were just painful, you know, because and not that their content was bad. The, the structure of the show was was so poorly put together because they didn't know what they didn't know. Yeah. And I thought, man, if I could just share a few tips of what I've learned over the 20 years of being in radio these podcasts could be so much better. And I, and you know, not from what I've done, but just from podcasting overall, I think the, the whole genre has become stronger over time because everybody's learned by trial and error. And we've learned from guys that have done it for 10 years. And, um, you know, people are learning how to put together a strong introduction and why you need a call to action in your, in your show and why it's important to include stories. And I think we're, the, the thing I love about podcasting is, we learn from each other. Yeah. Um, but as I was listening to podcasts, I thought, man, this, this content could be so much stronger if they just did a few things. Like one, one thing I highly encourage podcasters to do is to talk to one person rather than talking in group speak. You know, back in the day when radio first started, radio didn't have anything to broadcast. So they would broadcast theater productions. So it was just a retransmission of what was happening on stage. Well, the the person on stage would be addressing the crowd in front of them. So they would address, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for being here. And so as people would listen to that, they thought, well, that's how you're supposed to act on the radio. And so when DJs started playing music, uh, they would address the crowd as ladies and gentlemen. And so that just kind of persisted over time. And now podcasters do the same thing. But we're really not addressing the crowd like the person was on the stage. We're talking to one person who's listening very intently in this one-to-one communication we're having with them, whether it's through their earbuds or driving by themselves in the car. Even when they're listening in a group, they're listening by themselves because the the images that they're creating in their mind, that that theater of the mind is individualistic to them. Those images are only being created in their mind the way they can create them. The person next to them listening to the same thing is creating completely different images in their mind. And so I thought if I could just help people learn a few nuances like that, it could help make their content so much stronger. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, that that idea I've heard you mention on several episodes, the, this idea of the theater of the mind. Um, it, why do you think that that's something 
that um, beginning podcasters like lose lose track of and, and, and they don't see that as something that's important? I, th- I don't know that it, they don't see it. It's that it's important. It's there's so many things going on when you're creating your podcast. There's so many things you have to do and babysit that worrying about what your content sounds like the the adding the entertainment into it is almost a byproduct of it because you have to worry about your levels and how close you're working the mic and am I popping my peas and what's my what's the next question I'm going to ask my guest and that sort of thing. So trying to come up with this this theater of the mind, these fantastic words that draw mental images, that's, that's further down the road. People just don't get to that. I don't, I don't know that they don't think it's important. I think they just don't think about it. They don't think about you're trying. The whole reason people listen to your show is to be entertained. You know, I, even if you have great information, even if you're talking to a fantastic guest, it still has to be entertaining. If you're, if you're not making it entertaining, then you're, you're wasting your time. People won't come back. I know that you work with a wide range of podcasters, those that are just getting started, uh, those that have been doing it for a while, and, and maybe even podcasting veterans who've been doing it for quite some time, several years, in fact. And I imagine over, that, uh, over the course of those different levels of podca- uh, podcasters, do you see... Anything, anything in terms of consistency where, you know, these, these are the types of issues beginners, most beginning podcasters have, and then these are the type of issues people who've, who've been doing it for two or three years have, and then maybe people who've been doing it five or six years, seven, 10 years, maybe, you know, there's, we can always learn new things and we can always hone our craft better. And do you see as you tailor your, your instructions to those uh, different buckets, and if the buckets are different, you know you can you can let me know as well. But do you sort of tailor the instructions differently for those crowds? Yeah, I think everybody everybody is unique, um, and I think they do fall into buckets of of newbies, and then intermediate, and then advanced. Uh, but each individual podcaster has their own um, their own weaknesses and their own strengths. And what I try to do when I coach podcasters is let's find your strengths and figure out how we soar with those, how we do that more often. Uh, A lot of coaches, not just podcast coaches, but coaches overall consultants, they want to just remove all the bad stuff. And my philosophy is if you remove all the bad stuff, you're left with nothing. You have to replace the bad stuff with good stuff. So let's figure out how to do more good stuff. And then that way, the bad stuff just naturally goes away. But new podcasters, they tend to try and sound like other people. They try and sound like the radio guy. They try and you know, they, they have real sing-songy voice. Welcome to the show. You know, and it's like, no, just be yourself. Just be yourself. So I, new podcasters need to figure out how to be themselves, figure out who they're, who they're supposed to be on their show. You know, and I talk about getting in your character, but that's not a character different from who you are. It should be who you really are, but you should be true to yourself. Don't try and be something you're not. Stick to that. Intermediate podcasters have have gotten over, uh, have kind of figured out who they are, but they, uh, they start to try and get into, okay, now what's next? I, I've, I've got recording the show down. How do I go from that to being entertaining? So I help them kind of structure their content. Let's start with a powerful, intriguing introduction. Let's add some dazzling details. Let's, let's get those words in there that really create the vivid images in the mind. And then your powerful call to action at the end and that strong conclusion. So it's all it's, it's put together like a fantastic speech. Hmm. And then advanced podcasters who've been doing it a while, um, I try and help them remember to 
to forget what they know. Um, when you hear advanced podcasters, guys that have been doing it for a while, or, or especially on their specific topic, they forget that new people don't understand what the last 200 episodes were about. We need to get everybody up to speed. And you can't, you can't only uh, podcast to the people who have been with you since episode one. You have to bring your new people up to speed because you, you're always losing people in your audience. They're either um, their 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 daily routine changes, so they can't spend time with your podcast anymore, or another podcast has replaced your podcast. Things like that happen. So, if you want to continue to grow your audience, you have to continue to bring people in the front door because they're leaking out the back door. So, as you bring people in the front door, you have to get them up to speed with what all of your inside jokes and your nuances mean. If there's a segment that you do every time on your show, you need to set that segment up so the new people understand it and the people who have been here since episode one kind of feel that comfort of home, like, yep, I'm in the right spot. And so that's what I try and help seasoned podcasters do is is remember what you didn't know back when you started and help your new people get up to speed from that point. That's fantastic advice. And uh, personally, I've definitely uh, used some of your tips as as I mature, you know, I've I've been doing it now for two years. And it's really, you know, I I fall, I guess, into that intermediate category, but I'm I'm always, I'm the type of person that always feels like I I could learn nonstop, I'll always be a student of whatever it is that I'm doing in this case, podcasting. And, you know, I'm, 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 so I want to thank you for, you know, some of those episodes that you've where you've caused me to say you know it's like an aha moment or something like that yes it's just sometimes it's a little tweak it's not a a a big deal you know you don't have to completely uh, revamp your show but you'd be surprised uh, at the effect of you know slightly changing you know the the the, the, your format or to your point remembering that there are new people hopefully your show is growing and you're always going to have new people and keeping those keeping those people in mind i think is really really valuable advice yeah that's the trick is never be satisfied where you are always look to improve and to grow and to find ways to do that and uh, i'm glad that some of my content has really helped you and served you and and helped you improve your content a little bit i think there's always a little something we can learn and and do a little better and Um, that's what I try and give each and every episode. I try and find that one thing because I don't want you going out and trying to work on 27 things at one time. You're not going to get anything done. Let's find the one area this week that you want to work on and make that area a little bit better this week. And then next week we'll bite off something else. The other thing you talked about in one of the episodes was the, uh, to not be afraid of the pause. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and the importance of of silence in, in conversations. There are a lot of podcasters who want to go back into their show and edit out all of the pauses. So it's just bang, 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 bang content. Well, the the human brain doesn't work like that. And your listener needs that time to mentally digest the information you've just delivered. And a well-placed pregnant pause in your content will get people to pay attention. Yeah. It, it Rather than speaking louder, stop speaking. Because when that silence happens, people look at the speaker like, what just happened? There's nothing there. And then the next thing you say is the thing that they're going to hear. So if you want people to pay attention, don't be afraid of the pregnant pause. Don't be afraid of silence. Let that silence sit there for a minute. Even when you're thinking of the next thing to say, 
because it's natural. That's a natural part of conversation. Silence happens. Um, we, you were, we were touching on the idea of storytelling. I'm just out of curiosity. I'm wondering if you could tell the story of when you first met uh, Dave Jackson. Oh, it was crazy. So I'm getting into this podcast thing and um, I had uh, I had started my podcast. I got it up and launched and I was writing um, I was writing a blog entry. I had been invited to speak at New Media Expo the year prior to Dave taking over. And so I was writing some blog entries for the New Media Expo blog. And I'd written, I don't know, two of them maybe. And all of a sudden I got an email from Dave Jackson saying, hey, uh, you and I should talk because, you know, we're kind of on the same wavelength. And I said, yeah, sure, let's get on the phone. And so what planned to be a 30-minute conversation turned into like an hour and a half of us just talking about where we've come from and where we want to go and that sort of thing. Interestingly enough, I come across Dave's website um, when I was looking to launch my podcast and trying to think of a name for the show and uh, a name for what I do. I was looking all over the internet and I'd stumbled across uh, across School of Podcasting. I thought, well, that's a pretty cool name, um, but didn't think two things about it. And then all of a sudden Dave reaches out and says, hey, you and I should chat. And so we got on the phone and we talked and um, we've been friends and collaborators ever since. And I, I'd listened to his show for a long time. And then uh, I knew he had done the podcast review show and, and he had done it with his wife for quite a while, um, but it was sporadic. You know, they would do it whenever they had a, a chance to do it. And I said, well, why don't you and I kind of get on and do the podcast review show together? Because he had School of Podcasting. I had Podcast Talent Coach. Uh, Dave's School of Podcasting helps you get up and running with a podcast. And Dave knows more about the technical side than I ever will because he's, he's fantastic when it comes to building a website and, and knowing what the RSS feed's supposed to do. When I have technical questions, I go to Dave because mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I can spend three hours figuring it out or I can email Dave. And so <laughs> Dave's my guy. So I said, let's do the podcast review show together. Um, and I, and I so wanted his wife to come on too, cause she was the hammer. She would just, she's, she was no hold bar, just hammer people. And so I said, it would be great. Cause I could give the content side. You can give more of the technical side and then she could just hammer people. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, he was all for it. And then when we got started doing it, she wouldn't come on with us. And, um, uh, I thought it would have been a great show, but we still do it together. And, uh, and, and I give a little bit of technical advice when it comes to the website and Dave gives a little bit of content advice. Um, but I think we, the, the thing about having co-hosts is you have to have different perspectives Yeah. and Dave comes from a technical world. He's been an instructor for years. And so he comes from that technical background and is able to approach the subject matter in that way. And I come from the radio side of things and the content creation, audio creation side. So we come at the, at the content with two different perspectives. We may reach the same conclusion, but we have different perspectives on the information. And the, uh, actually the show that I'm putting out here soon is, uh, about all of that, how to make use of your co-host and why you need different perspectives. Because if you and your co-host have the same perspective on everything, there's really no point in, in having a co-host. I mean, you're saying the same thing. So find somebody new. Sounds like you'd have a third chair open for someone who wants to guest co-host with you guys and can be the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be the hammer. Come on in and crush somebody. Oh, we need the Simon Cowell of our podcast. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's rubbish. <laughs> that's rubbish. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> being in this teacher role, um, do you have, um, can you think of a, a podcaster you work with where, you know, f- because of the influence you had and because of the, um, what you taught them, it's, you know, maybe like a, a proud teacher moment when with someone that you work with recently? You know, I really don't like um, talking about a lot of the, the clients that I work with because I don't know how comfortable they are. Well, you, talked, yeah, and, and you could I've just... never talked to any of them about, hey, mind if I go out and use you as the poster child? Um, there is a guy that I'm working with. He does a, it's almost like a talk show, like a radio uh, political talk show. And he has some of the best observations of society on his show. And I absolutely love what he does. But his whole goal is to have a talk show on a radio station. And uh, I said, yeah, okay, I can help you do that. Let's brush up your content. Let's formulate your content like it would be a radio show. So you have the introduction. You're introducing what the show is all about. You're talking about the topics of the day. You're giving your opinion on them, which is what the show is all about. And, you know, we put it into nice segments that could be a radio show. And that way we can create a demo out of that that you can go shop around to radio stations. And uh, and he lives really near L.A. And I said, well, first of all, let me tell you, you're not going to get a job in L.A. So <laughs> we'll start there. You've never been on the radio. L.A. is not where you begin. So, uh, But he just recently got an interview to do a weekend show in one of the smaller communities in Southern California. And... Uh, I don't know if he started his gig yet or not, but it looks very possible that uh, that his dream could come true, that he could have a radio show, uh, a radio talk show. He's not just on the air DJing records. He's actually going to get on and do a couple hours of his commentary, which is pretty cool. And that's directly attributable to the, the work that he did with you. Yeah. I, I, yeah. A lot of what we did, um, a lot of the instruction that I gave him was preparing him to go find a gig. Now he already had great content and yeah. already had a, a fantastic perspective. And that's what I do. I don't, I don't try and change your show. What I want to do is take your, your perspective and your content and let's get out the, the shoe shine rag and polish it up a bit. So it looks great when you go out on Saturday night. That's good. That must've been a, a proud moment for you then. That was very cool. It was very cool. So uh, tell me something you've changed your mind about recently. Something I don't typically change my mind. I'm I, I change is not um, change is not in my being. Um, I did find myself rooting for the New York Rangers the other day, okay. uh, and being a diehard Islanders fan, that was very difficult for me. I uh, you know I liked actually seeing Hendrik Lundqvist play a, a decent game, and then I thought to myself, what am I doing? It's the Rangers. I can't. <laughs> Oh my! Next thing you know, I'm going to like the Flyers. This is going to be ridiculous. How do, uh, how do you how do you become a fan of a uh, of a New York hockey team living in Nebraska? Uh, because we have no professional sports teams here in Nebraska. It is Nebraska. So a lot of college, a lot of college sports. Um, when I first started playing hockey at the age of nine, my very first hockey team we were the Islanders, well, okay. because we had Islanders and we had the. Bruins and we had the Seals and we had all these hockey teams. And uh, so I thought, okay, Islanders. And so I started following the Islanders. And next thing you know, the Islanders put together five Stanley Cups in a row with Mike Bossy and and Brian Trache and Billy Smith. And uh, 
And I'm like, I picked a damn good team. This rocks. And so I became an Islanders fan. And then after Gretzky came into the league, uh, the Islanders couldn't win a game to save their life. And I've been an Islanders fan ever since, all the way through Pat LaFontaine and everybody else that's played with the Islanders. And now finally they're playing some good hockey with Kyle Opozo and Tavares. And I mean, they're, you know, Garth Snow's got them on the right path. So I'm hoping that they, I hate their black jerseys and I hate the fact they're in Brooklyn. But other than that, uh, you know, I think they're pretty cool. Especially with a name like the Islanders, they need to be. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn and Islanders. Nobody sees the problem here. Like, and, and they go, yeah, nobody goes to the games in Brooklyn. I'm like, really? One, yeah. it's Brooklyn. And two, you're called the Islanders. <laughs> Why would Brooklyn come watch you play hockey? Yeah, I grew up in New York, so uh, I, I remember the, the, the golden age of the Islanders and, and, and the Islanders versus Rangers. It's like the Yankees versus Mets, too. You know? Yeah, so uh, w- what was your sport growing up? It's more baseball. Base- uh, Mets yeah. or Yankees? Yankees. Yankees, yeah. Yeah, I made it to the 96 World Series. Oh, wow. Game six when they clinched. Uh, we, I waited 26 hours for tickets. It was crazy. It was the first time they had been to this World Series since like uh, Bucky Dent and... 78 i think and so we waited for tickets and there was no lottery at that time just wait with a lawn chair yeah that's awesome i I saw two games in the old yankee stadium before they tore it down and that was that place was amazing just the history of it you know it's yeah it doesn't have the elevators and it doesn't have the big wide you know concourse or whatever but it but it was yankee stadium i mean that's what it was all about it was so cool so just at being a fan of architecture, being able to take that in yeah. and the fact that it just sat in the middle of the neighborhood, you know, it's like you park up the street by, you know, Bill's house and then you walk down to the game. It was awesome. Had a great time. Yeah. That's one of those other like bygone eras. Cause like you said, yeah, you would walk out and then you'd have the, the bars, the pubs all along the, the, yeah. the outside and just hang out there for a while. Now, yeah. with, now a Got- ticket costs like hundred dollars or yeah crazy <laughs> you know guys are charging 10 bucks to park in their front yard you know and now it's like you know you you, you have to pay 30 dollars to park within a mile and a half of the stadium because the stadium owns all the property it's not not like it used to be yeah what's uh what's uh the one most misunderstood thing about you the most misunderstood thing about me probably you know i'm pretty introverted even though uh, I enjoy teaching, I enjoy coaching, I don't have a problem getting on stage in front of thousands of people uh, grabbing a mic. You know, that's I get paid to do that quite a bit. You know, they need an MC to come host something. Uh, you know, I go volunteer to that all the time and I don't have any problem. Just give me something to read and give me a microphone. I'll walk out in front of anybody. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm really pretty introverted. I would much rather sit at home and watch the hockey game than go to the bar and watch the hockey game. Mm. Um so yeah, that's probably the biggest thing about me that that people don't understand or realize. A lot of crazy things in my my background and my history. I told you I ride a unicycle. You know, I was one of my first gigs. I was a magician for birthday parties when I was uh, in junior high. Um, I used to sell uh, I used to sell bubble gum out of my locker to make money when I was in junior high. I'd go to white sales and buy cases of it from the guy that you know got it off his truck, and then I'd take it to school and piecemeal it out and make a bunch of money. That's funny. you know I loved I loved just being an entrepreneur when I was a kid. I'd sell anything. What was your go to magic trick? Um, it's called it's called scotch and soda. Okay. Um, it would I would take a, a coin. It'd be a quarter, and uh, and this like a Mexican 
coin and uh, I'd put the two of them in my hand and the quarter would disappear. Uh, so, where's the scotch part coming? <laughs> it's called scotch and soda because it used to be done in the bar way back in the day and you would bet a guy a scotch and soda that you could make the quarter disappear. Can, can you still do that trick? Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, right now, uh, I uh, my best trick is the French drop, and it's just a way to make a coin disappear in your hand. You hold it in one hand, and you you grab it with the other hand, and all of a sudden, it's it's disappeared. And I I perfected that because I've been doing that for thirty years, and uh, my kids love it. And I'm starting to teach my kids how to do it so they can go make money at school. <laughs> yeah, run run the run the three card monty in the in the out on the playground. Are you a fan of uh, any of the, the 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 movies about magicians or have you, is there one that sticks out? Cuz I remember growing up I did a little bit of magic myself and so I was always fascinated with Harry Houdini. Houdini's phenomenal. Yeah. Um you know uh David Copperfield has the largest Houdini collection in the world. Yeah. And his uh in his uh, workshop, nobody knows where his workshop is except like the 12 people that work there. It's really pretty cool. Um, I'm a fan of Copperfield. I love the way that he kind of brought Broadway into magic. It's not just being on stage and doing an illusion. Um, you know, he kind of took what Harry Blackstone did and kind of took it to the next level. Yeah. And uh, the new guys, you know, the guys that are real serious, you know, and they're like marooting and just... Yeah. Chris the, Angel, you know, Chris Angel, yeah, David Blaine. Those guys. Not, not a big fan. Of, like, David Blaine could smile once or twice. It wouldn't kill him. Like, seriously. But, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of those guys. I think David Blaine does some amazing magic. Yeah. Like, the way he goes out on the street and he levitates in front of people is the reaction he gets is just phenomenal. I love that sort of thing. Um, you know, I learned how to turn a, a $100 bill into a $1 bill by watching a... TV special of Copperfield over and over again. So really? that was pretty cool. Yeah, I just I watched it until I learned how he did it. And um, we were out in Vegas. I wanted to go see one of the big magicians out in Vegas. And one of the ticket street vendors convinced me to go see a guy named Steve Wyrick um, in Vegas. And, and he was young and really, really good. Yeah. I really enjoyed seeing him. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the of the of the TV shows that used to be on that, that would the secrets of oh, the magician, yeah. you know, that's I made a lot of magicians mad. Yeah. You just blow the, everybody knows it's magic. You know, right. you don't have to go blow it and tell everybody how it's done, you know, but I, I think that Penn and Teller are pretty funny. I love when they show how the trick's done and you still don't know how it's done at the end of it. Cause they do it so well. Those guys are great. And yeah. the, their comedic timing is phenomenal. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, uh, hopefully folks now know that you're a fan of magic as well. I love, yeah. I, I, I always wanted to do things that other kids weren't doing. So, yeah. um, magic and riding a unicycle, I can juggle, you know, I used to, uh, um, I used to do all sorts of things. I think that's kind of what drew me to hockey because not many kids, you know, I was the only kid in school playing hockey until my brother started playing, you know, everybody else is playing baseball and soccer. And I, I started playing baseball and then I got into hockey. I just love things like radio that, that not many other people do. Very cool. Well, I know we got to wrap up now. Um, I want to thank you for uh, being very generous with your time and, and sharing a bit about your, your, your background and, and, and some hopefully people got to learn a little bit more about uh, Eric K. Johnson. 
Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. You can uh, find any of the any of my content and anything you'd like online at podcasttalentcoach.com. I have a series of free worksheets there that'll help you shape your content. So if you have a podcast and you need to uh, figure out how to do a self-critique, there's a worksheet there that'll help you do that or structure your show or anything like that. It's all available for you at podcasttalentcoach.com. But Harry, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to to come on and chat anytime you'd like i'll i'm more than happy to come back and talk again yeah definitely thanks so much eric and uh best of luck uh with the with the with the show i I highly recommend it to listeners to check it out there's a chock full of information and i guarantee you listen to at least three or four invest in three or four episodes and it'll be time well spent uh to get your podcast sounding that much better i appreciate the kind words thanks harry okay thanks So thanks again to Eric for coming on the show, for making time to share with us some of his uh, knowledge based on years of experience in radio, based on coaching hundreds of podcasters and being uh, just a voice of reason with all this noise going out there or out there from people who tell you what they what they think they know about podcasting or because they've had a podcast for six months they now feel that they can uh, educate you on the ins and outs and you have to really take all those people with a grain of salt um, and really look for the people who've been doing this for a while who respect your time and and really respect the craft and I think Eric I know that Eric is really one of those guys and so if you get a chance Definitely check out Podcast Talent Coach. At the very least, check out the podcast. I'm sure you're going to get value out of it, whether you're a veteran podcaster, a brand new podcaster, or a want-to-be podcaster. Uh, either way, I think wherever you are along the journey, it's always nice to, to find a resource that can um, give you insights no matter where you are. So that's a good thing. So I alluded to uh, a new sponsor. It's called PodBuzz. And PodBuzz really helps with um, the headaches podcasters have around uh, checking iTunes for reviews. It is a review uh, service where you can pull all your reviews from iTunes and it does it across all countries. A lot of times you only focus on the re- on the reviews you're getting from the, the United States if you're in the US. PodBuzz takes care of that. Um, and what you find is that there's a lot of reviews and audience members that you didn't know you had. It really saves you time and keeps you updated with your audience's thoughts. You can see a really beautiful dashboard that he's created uh, when you when you log into the tool, and it'll show you. Um, it sort it's sort of like a heat map, and so the the five star reviews are highlighted as as are any negative reviews, and so you can kind of see where they fall in the spectrum, and they're all listed there uh, conveniently right below a map that shows you where in the country and where in the world you're getting reviews from. Um, I, I'm using it now. I, I really love it. I'm using it with some of my clients, and uh, I love the insight that he's providing. The dashboard, like I said, gives you a timeline of reviews, a map of your reviews, and also what he's doing is putting keywords in uh, for positive reviews and negative reviews. Uh, it's a new feature he added is a website widget where you can ask your listeners for a review. And this is the whole kicker, guys. It's free. If you have one show that you want to get uh, insights in from a re- review perspective, then definitely check it out. It's podbuzz.com, um, but you can um, go there and tell them that Harry sent you. And, and the way that you do that is head on over to podcastjunkies.com slash podbuzz, and that'll route you directly to uh, the link he set up just for listeners of the show. 
So check it out, uh, PodBuzz. It's uh, three times as good as anything else you find out there, which is why you're going to have to put in three Zs, P-O-D-B-U-Z-Z-Z.com. If you want free reviews from your your um, your podcast pulled for you every week and sent to you and a nice map telling where the reviews are coming from. So check it out. Link about it. I'd really love your feedback. Junkies.com slash podbuzz. We are part of the Podcastica network. So check us out. Our shows at podcastica.com. And music is always Cedar and Soil. Check them out at cedarsoil.com. And uh, loyal listeners, you can use the retention hashtag of talented mr johnson which is a play on the movie talented mr ripley and because he's podcast talent coach i thought it was um a nice play on words there so talented mr johnson all one word that's t-a-l-e-n-t-e-d mr m-r j-o-h-n-s-o-n talent hashtag talented mr johnson eric's twitter handle is eric podcast one word e-r-i-k-p-o-d-c-a-s-t so tag him Tag podcast underscore junkies. Let us know you made it this far. It always brings a smile to my face when I see that sort of stuff. Spread the word about the show. If you haven't already, leave us a rating and a review. It is much appreciated. I got a couple of uh, reviews in for podcasts that I listen to that I've been listening to for weeks now. And I just uh, made time to actually record my thoughts about what I wanted to write into the review in the voice recorder. And then later on when I got home, I listened to that and it made writing the review that much easier. So that's a little... Uh, productivity hack you can try next time you're out walking your dog or jogging or uh, anything else you might be doing while you're out and about. Thanks so much, guys and gals. I really uh, hope you enjoyed this week's uh, episode. Uh, Don't forget to join us next week. Next Monday, we have a conversation with um, Yannick Ilunga, and he's the host of the 360 Entrepreneur Podcast. Um, Really fascinating discussion, really entertaining, and a lot of fun, high energy with that one as well, so don't miss that. Thank you so much. Uh, Have a fantastic week. Take care. I love you guys. Bye.